0: Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Derbeck, and this podcast is going to be about diabetes insipidus and SIADH, which stands for syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone. So um, these two exemplars relate to obviously hormonal regulation, and they have to do with the fluid balance and the hormone ADH, the antidiuretic hormone. And so think about just the name antidiuretic hormone. It's um, saying anti-not going to diurese. And so that's, that's the purpose of the ADH is to um, help keep somebody from diuresing too much. Now with diabetes insipidus, um, it has the name of diabetes in it. Um, But it's not related to diabetes mellitus like we've talked about. So the connection that we can see between diabetes insipidus and diabetes mellitus is really just um, some of the signs and symptoms that we see with it. It is not a glucose regulation issue, though. So uh, diabetes insipidus is caused by a deficiency of ADH, or an inability of the kidneys to respond appropriately to the ADH. So what this means is either it's coming from the brain, not giving us enough ADH, or we're producing it, but that those kidneys, the tubules, aren't able to process it properly. And so ADH or vasopressin, um, that is secreted, that's the other name for it, um, is secreted by the posterior pituitary gland and is responsible for retaining or holding on to water. It helps increase our plasma volume when we're when we uh, our volume is low. So with primary diabetes insipidus, it's actually caused by issues with the pituitary gland and then secondary diabetes insipidus Um, is when there's either tumors, head trauma, infection, and that can be like meningitis or encephalitis or uh, brain injury. There's also a couple medications that can cause the secondary diabetes insipidus, and that would be lithium carbonate, which is a medication used for bipolar disorder, which we'll talk about more next semester. And um, Demetrocycline, um, which is an antibiotic. It's one of the tercyclic ones. Now, both of these um, can cause problems. Both of those medications can cause problems with how the kidneys respond to the ADH. So assessing a patient with too little ADH, um, that means that the patient is not able to hold on to the fluids. And so we're going to really see issues with dehydration. So they're going to be dry inside at the DI. So they'll have polyuria. They're peeing a lot. They'll have polydipsia, secondary to the so much urination. And with that polydipsia, it's a severe thirst. And so those are the two symptoms that kind of make it sound like diabetes, but that's where the similarities end. Um, We'll also see the patient with poor skin turgor, Dry these membranes, um, lowering blood pressure. And of course with that, the heart compensates by increasing the heart rate, with some tachycardia. they'll have weak peripheral pulses, chemo concentration. So the uh, blood concentration, the sodium level is going to be high because of, um, how, um, thick the blood is. So there's increased blood osmolality and, um, that's just telling us that the thickness and then there'll be a low specific gravity and um, specific gravity is telling us how concentrated the urine is and so we're going to see something um, under like 1.005 and so it's very dilute urine we can see decreased cognition ataxia irritability and then all these signs and symptoms are really coming from that dehydration now in order to uh, figure out what's going on we'll have to do a 24-hour urine and we'll be measuring the amount of urine over 24 hours and remember that the correct way to do a 24-hour urine is you dump that first urine where we start on an empty bladder and then we also end on an empty bladder and during that 24-hour urine if we get greater than four liters and there's more output than intake, that's going to support the diagnosis of diabetes insipidus. Now, there are some medications that can be given for DI. Um, They are the synthetic forms of antidiuretic hormone, and that would be desmopressin, um, which is sometimes called desmopressin acetate, or DDAVP, um, or vasopressin. And so desmopressin used to only be available nasally um, through a spray, but they do have it like little melts that they can just melt on the tongue. And um, if the patient's in serious condition, we can give that vasopressin, we can give that IV or AM if they're severely dehydrated. Um, Now, this medication is going to act just like the EDH and will help decrease the urine produced by the kidneys. So if a patient's on these medications, it's going to be important to give this medication on time to help prevent any complications. It will help the body reabsorb the water, um, and it can be used um, uh, specifically DDAVP, the desmopressin. It has been used for nighttime anuresis, so that nighttime bedwetting, um, because it helps the urine um, Helps to decrease the urine that's produced by the kidneys. And so you can see where, um, if you have a child who's bedwetting, that that would be helpful. Now, when giving this um, medication and they start holding on to fluids again, we have to monitor for hyponatremia. So, as, as the fluid shifts start going back, we can see them going from that hypernatremic state to hyponatremia. And we're also going to need to watch them for fluid retention. Now, <laughs> many of these medications are um, just temporary, and they're going to be given um, a couple times a day, Whatever specific um, written by the endocrinologist for the patients can be patient-specific, and um, we're still going to want them to drink. Um, so with diabetes insipidus, because they're dehydrated, we're going to want them to drink something at least every four hours to prevent that severe dehydration and we're going to want them to drink the same amount that they're voiding. So um, you know if they're having a high output they need to be drinking a lot to try and keep them euvolemic. They should avoid things like caffeine because that can be more dehydrating Um, assessments. um, We're gonna of course do intake and outputs, daily weights, um, monitor that urine specific gravity. And of course that is again, how concentrated the urine is. Um, when it's dilute, then we have a low specific gravity. We're going to again, assess for those signs and symptoms of fluid overload, which could switch into like crackles in the lungs. We're going to teach the patient that if they have an increase in weight of um, two pounds or more, they need to seek medical treatment because then they're holding on to too much fluid. And then we're going to, of course, be monitoring for changes in level of consciousness or confusion and be monitoring those sodium levels. Now, one thing to note is that the IV form of um, ADH is 10 times more potent than the oral or nasal form. So obviously, it's going to be like a safety alert if giving it, making sure we're really giving the proper dosing. So let's talk next about SIADH, so syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone. In this case, we have too much antidiuretic hormone. And so the antidiuretic hormone is secreted um, despite low to normal osmolality in these patients, and a low osmolality usually decreases production of ADH and secretion since the ADH helps um, the body hold on to water. So if the blood osmolality is low, the body should not want to dilute it more. Less ADH secreted usually means more fluid is lost. In SIADH, the ADH is secreted despite the osmolarity, which of course leads to fluid retention. And so with ADH, they're not getting rid of the fluid. So this person's going to have lots of fluid on board. Um, some causes of SADH, um, cancer is one of the causes, and specifically lung cancer. Um, there is some thought that maybe uh, the cancer is actually producing ADH excess, um, not a, a true, uh, not, we don't know that for sure. Um, again, medications and then pulmonary disorders like tuberculosis, or of course, even some CNS disorders. Now, in these patients, we are assessing for water retention. Um, So this um, extra fluid can cause some GI disturbances, such as decreased appetite, nausea, and vomiting. It'll lead to um, decreased sodium level, um, and that's because of chemodilutional. So we'll see hyponatremia. And with that, we can see that lethargy and headache. And headache's always a a big problem. red sign for you when you have somebody with the hyponatremia. They can become disoriented, even hostile, uh, changes in that level of consciousness. And if um, hyponatremia progresses, it can go to seizures or even a coma. So, of course, there's going to be some safety precautions related to seizures. Um, They can also have hypothermia, secondary to CNS disturbances. And um, remember that sodium plays a role in nerve and muscle function. So when that is affected, that's why we can have some of these signs and symptoms. We are going to intervene with this patient by instituting a uh, fluid restriction. Um, If they um, are getting tube feedings, um, maybe through a PEG tube or a G-tube, we're going to dilute that with saline. And through any of those tubes, we would also administer meds with the saline instead of water. Um, And if they have an NG tube, when we flush the NG tube during our routine flushing, we would actually flush that with saline and not water. So, of course, for these patients with SIADH, we're also going to do intake and output, daily weight, monitoring the sodium levels. Um, There is a medication, Tolvactam. It's used for SIADH. Um, when there is uh, really low sodium. And uh, it's a vasopressin antagonist that causes water excretion without the sodium loss. Um, And it helps correct both the fluid and the sodium imbalances. Now, the problem is, is it can cause a rapid Rise in sodium levels, which can lead to CNS demyelinization, which can lead to some serious complications and even death. So, um, that medication, the um, Tolbactin, is only given in the hospital where we can really monitor a sodium level. Um, diuretics may be used, um, but Um, you would really expect potentially 3% saline, and that's a hypertonic saline. And so one of the things I want you to understand about a hypertonic saline is that it is a high-alert medication, and it can be very dangerous to give. And so the rate that we actually give this is going to be at a slow rate. We're talking like 10 milliliters an hour or or some really slow rate. And because it's um, hypertonic, it's going to help pull fluid out, and so um, it's going to help with that concentration. So with um, these issues, we're going to monitor for a fluid overload. Watch um, that we're not causing dehydration through our treatments. Of course, there'll be safety issue. We'll be assessing for level consciousness, seizure precautions. Remember, normal sodium level was 135 to 145. And um, with both of these, you can see how they are total opposites of each other as far as one is um, definitely the person's uh, presenting as dehydrated and the other is presenting as um, fluid overloaded. And so one of the best ways is to really study these is to, to look at them as the opposites and repetition is going to be your friend with some of these hormonal regulation exemplars.